the last time, last year, when we were all together, um, we talked about when Yeshua came and he said, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what that might mean, and there were a bunch of uh, related things. I don't, I don't know. I think I sent that out in written form. I didn't, can't remember. Um, and there's a whole bunch of related topics we could do. And we may do some of those, you know, at another time. Um, and then I sent something a few days ago from Barna and the American Bible Society that said from you know from this year's survey <coughs> excuse me that uh, less than three percent of people identifying as christians read their bible every day and less than 10 percent read their bible every month which was i guess i shouldn't be surprised but uh, and it, it didn't ask of those groups of three percent or ten percent how many of them actually read their Bible to learn something, or they just read it like a novel? Um, and I suspect not that many actually read to learn. So I was postulating that maybe 2% of the people who identify as Christians are actually interested in learning, which uh, to me helped <laughs> why nobody's interested in learning. Because <laughs> it's just more comfortable, I guess, not to have to be challenged or I, I don't know. It seemed like an odd uh, factoid and figuroid that. No. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I, you know, I, I kind, kind of understand it because we're from Santa Barbara, which is a, apparently a bigger city than this. And the churches have lots of people. And with lots of people, you have lots of options. So Sundays were specific for the new believer, the non-believer. So the goal was to bring people in who didn't know Jesus, as they would say, and introduce them to that. And then there were, you know, 15 other options you would have to if you wanted to learn something or whatever. There's different home groups and different places you could go. And some of the like Chuck Smith's church, I think there are 200 and or last time I checked, 214 things that happen every week. So if you wanted to learn in Mandarin or Turkish or, you know, I mean, because they're in LA, they're, all these people go there and they have any number of options. And the smaller the city gets, the, the fewer the options become. But they've, they've still held on to that Sunday, and I'm talking about Calvary's, I don't know about every church. But they've still held on to that Sunday is the time for non-believers or new believers. And they don't want to uh, burden a new believer or non-believer down with all this stuff, you know, so they don't teach it, which is fine, except there's no, there's no avenue for it. And that 
it, at the very least was what midweeks used to do. We used to be able to dive into something on a midweek and teach it differently than you would on a Sunday. And, and it just seems, and I don't know if it's just this area or what. Yeah, there are just no, no good options. So, I mean, not that this is a good option. It's, it's, it's an option you have, one of the few. So I appreciate your being here. And I wish there were better options for you. But um, when you read that survey, it's like, well, if 98% of the people don't really care, what's the point? So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was informative and it was disturbing at the same time because I would think that more people would be interested in learning the truth or learning more in depth. I mean, is that the way they conduct their lives? Or they, they, they... A lot of it's because people have the idea that I go to church on Sunday and I watch once in a while. Yeah, they do. Which is not exactly the, the message you would get by reading the Bible. Well, that's what they tell you. You know, if you went if you went forward as a six year old and you committed your life, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. You're good to go. There's no there's no emphasis on you actually learning anything as you go. And I don't, uh, you know, obviously I don't agree with that. Um, I don't know. I hope it's true. Maybe it is, but I don't know. So um, we started with the, you know, the came only for lost sheep of Israel thing. There were other options that go along with that that we'll probably get to at some point. There was that. And then tonight I wanted to talk about the church, because if you, if you find out who Israel is in the scriptures, I think that's probably the most important thing you can know, because as you read scripture, everything changes when you know that to be true. The other thing that I think is imperative to know is who's the church, because if you get that wrong, um, it could be bad, you know. So anyway, I want to talk a little bit about, and I found this, and it was just too much, because I may be the only person, I'm certainly the only person I've ever heard say it, but I refer to the 21st century American Christian or the 21st century American church all the time, and that was just a perfect picture, because that's how these churches operate. I mean, I've been in those churches that operate. You have to draw the people in. And there has to be something to draw the people in. You just, it's not like you've got a, a you know, like the, the gentleman down here uh, in Eagle Gypsum in that, that Baptist church, you know, that uh, the Thompsons go to. They've got maybe 20 people. And I don't know, I think they got a new pastor, but if not, you know, I, I would like to go to that place because he makes me look skinny. He's a, he's a big guy, balder than me, bigger beard than me, uh, probably knows a ton more than me. And he's a super nice guy, but he's not, you know, he's not, it's, there's no lights and smoke and, you know, there's not penguins doing tricks on stage or anything. It's just, he just gives you the word, amen and hallelujah. And he's got what, 20 people that go there. People are looking for the flash. You know, they need the. the, guy with the sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pastor. Okay. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. 
I like him. I'm talking about the one down here with. Yeah, yeah, with the white picket fence. Oh yeah, yeah. I I can't remember this guy's name. I only met him a couple of times. Super nice guy, but whatever. I mean, it's just classic. You know, you've got. I'm sure the guy, you know, brings the word. The times that I've been there have been some special event, and he's brought the truth. You know, there's, no, it's the truth. And of course, people don't go there because there's no smoke and lights, and you know, there's not a big band, and I don't know. So I saw this and thought, well, that's exactly it. The 21st century church needs, and they put more emphasis, in my opinion, on that stuff. Okay, so when you think of the church, um, and I had to use this one, this is classic. Obviously, this is, uh, uh, well, not obviously, I'm, I'm assuming it's some big Catholic church, and you can see the giant Christmas trees and all of this stuff. They apparently never read out of the book of Joel. And then when you think of church, you know, that's a church, right? Building. Yeah, it's this giant megalith. And it, one of the questions is, do you really need 40 foot tall doors? And why, when you go into these big churches, are there, are there 60 or 70 or 80 foot tall ceilings? And that will be another message for another time because it's, it, it's an interesting answer. But talk about the mud flood, and the, you know, and the... Uh, watchers and the nephilims and the giants and all that stuff okay so the message is who is the church in scripture and you know think about who you are well we are right and they always say oh, it's not the building it's the people okay that's fine so my discussion question could, there were there are 80 different verses you could use i just picked revelation 1 1 uh to the seven churches which are in asia okay well think about that for a minute seven churches are in asia now when we think Asia, what do you think about Vietnam or, you know, China or what, what do you what do you think Asia? In those days, Asia was Turkey and around that area. And if you follow this from Revelation one one and you read through the, these seven churches he's talking about, it lists the names. You know, Thyatira and, um, you know, Pittsburgh and New York or whatever it is. It names all of those churches, and you put a dot on the map. And you'll find all those churches are in Turkey or Assyria or Asia. So all of these seven churches are in Asia, right? So right off the bat, who are those people? They're not, you know, this isn't the archdiocese of Istanbul. You know, these are the scattered house of Israel that was scattered into Assyria, into Asia. They went to all of these cities that are listed. So right off the bat, when you start thinking the word churches, and you're thinking Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, that's wrong. That's not who those people were. That is the house of Israel. And then the other thing Christians today uh, when point to when you ask them about the church is they will almost always go to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, let me just give you a brief summary. It was on uh, Shavuot, which is seven sevens after Yeshua rose from the grave, on the Feast of First Fruits. Kepha and the boys were celebrating the feast in Jerusalem when the Ruach HaKodesh, which is actually the spirit of holiness, fell upon them. They related the truth of Yeshua to the crowd, and each one, remember, heard in his own language. 
and they were pricked in their hearts and asked what they should do. And he, of course, said, repent and be baptized. And they continued daily in the temple from house to house with gladness and singleness of heart. And one, there's, a, there's a verse in there that we'll read later that says, and 3,000 souls were added. And most people read that were added to the church, although I haven't found a single uh, translation that has to the church. 3,000 souls were added that day. Added, that's all it says. But we always put to the church in there for some reason. So when you look at who the church is, um, you know, the word church doesn't appear in the Tanakh, of course. Uh, it only appears in the New Testament. And the word that's translated church in Greek is the word ecclesia. And, you know, we get ecclesiastical and all these church-related things from it. But the word um, doesn't mean that. It means an assembly. You know, it can be the ecclesiasta or the ecclesia of the hell's angels or the ecclesia of your local uh, socialist party or whatever. It's just a group of people. It has no particular tie-in to what they do. It's just a group of people. So when you read the word ecclesia, there's got to be a, a descriptor somewhere that tells you what this group of people is. Is it a, uh, a group of tattoo artists? Is it a group of hell's angels? Is it a group, group of Democrats? Is it, you know, the local hunting group, whatever, they're all ecclesia. It's also translated as a calling out. You know, you're, this, this group, this ecclesia is separate from everybody else because they're a group that does toys for tots or does 40 days for life or whatever. So you have to read more to find out what this particular ecclesia is about. Um, and it's, it's, it's somewhat unfortunate that in all older translations of the Bible, I'm talking King James and, uh, you know, the Geneva Bible and the Schofield Bible and all of these Bibles that were written some time ago, uh, Ecclesia is translated as church. So when you're in the, the Torah or the, the Tanakh, there's a Hebrew word mishkin, which we've talked about before. And it means essentially the same thing. I had a meeting place, a dwelling place. It can be used as an animal there. It, it's, it's, it's an assembly. It's a place for an assembly. Mishkin. And it can be anything. It can be, you know, the, the same group of people. It could be the, you know, socialists of America or the Republicans or whoever it is. Any group who meets in a place, you would use the word Mishkin. And then you would add to that word Mishkin what it is that they do. So when you're reading uh, 139 times in the Tanakh, the word Mishkin, the vast majority of those are translated as tabernacle because it explains who this group was. They are the, the, the people who came to the Mishkin of God, right? This is where uh, uh, Yahuwah made his dwelling place. This is where he wanted to come live with the people. And all that's explained. So when you re read the word Mishkin in the Tanakh, you know what it is. It's the, it's the place where God dwells. And by association, it's the people who come to see him there. And there are, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 of those 139 times that's translated as habitation or dwelling place, but it's almost always in the context of the dwelling place of Yahuwah. It's always that idea. 
So uh, when you compare the two, at first blush, you might think that church is, you know, is, is a perfectly legitimate translation because it's sort of the same idea, right? It's a group of people, and you recognize that the church is where this group of people come to worship God, right? So you can, you can make the case that, well, sure, that's a perfectly legitimate translation of the word ecclesia. But when you start to look at it a little more closely, um, it almost starts to look a little more nefarious because you put the history of this. And <clears throat> when these Bibles were translated, most of them were in the late 1400s, early to mid to late 1500s. Uh, so we're a thousand years, 1200 years past the founding by Constantine of the Roman Catholic Church. So this idea of this group of people being the church had been, uh, had been around for 1,200 years when the translators for King James and all these other guys translated the word ecclesia. So they, you know, they had some options. They didn't have to use the word church, but they did. And you know, King James was um, an Anglican and the Pope was a Catholic. And they had some sort of, um, you know, a battle between the two. And they wanted, obviously, you know, they wanted to be the premier religious organization in the world. And it became an issue of, we can't use the word temple or tabernacle, which clearly would be what the disciples meant when they were writing this word and what, how it would have been understood in the beginning but they wanted to give credence to the church, not to the tabernacle. Because if you're highlighting the tabernacle, you're highlighting Jews, you're highlighting the people, the, the legitimate people of God, the chosen people of God. And it detracts from your being the church because the Catholic church has spent um, those 1200 years systematically destroying the Jewishness of the scriptures. So when you start looking at this word church, and that's why I put those pictures up there, because that's what we think, right? We think of the church and you read those. I mean, how many times have you read the book of Revelation? You've read about those seven churches in Asia and almost every Christian, I would venture to guess, because this is certainly how I understood it for many, many years is you understood the word church as you, as, as your church, as the people that you're with on Sunday, the people that look like you and think like you, that's the church. And you intellectually understand that there are um, 4,300, you may not intellectually understand that, but you understand that there are a number of different denominations and different groups, and they, and they, understand it differently and they look at things differently and you always think or at least i would always think and i'm sure most christians do that well we've mostly got it right you know those guys maybe not so much but we've mostly got it right so when you start reading about the church in scripture we just think it's us and that we're the person that's talking to. And you look about uh, any number of commentaries and any number of seminaries and any number of Bible teachers, and they reinforce that idea. 
by saying, you know, we've got it right. We're the church to the extent where um, you, you might even think, and some people even say this, that the church has replaced Israel. Because Israel, after all, those are the people, they killed the Messiah. So they blew their chance, right? So the church, that's us, came on. And we're the people that will inherit the promises. We're, we're those guys. And we're perfectly content believing that. Because we're told that, sometimes directly, most of the time by inference. And it just feels better. You know, because we, we want to be the guys, right? And so the whole purpose of, of uh, looking at what the church is, is I think it's important to at least look in your own mind and see if maybe that's a misunderstanding. Because if it is, it's huge. Because if, if the Messiah returns, as he says he would, and he's gathering up who, you know, we've, we've read in the past, he's coming for the house of Israel. And we've read in Ezekiel where he's putting two sticks together, right? And it says who they are. It's the house of Yehuda and the house of Israel. Where's the church? I don't see it. And, and, and we'll go through some of this stuff now and some maybe another time. Uh, you'll never see it. There is no place in scripture from Paul and his, his uh, two olive trees, Ezekiel and his two sticks, and anywhere in between, there is no place that you will, as far as I know, that you will ever find the returning of the Messiah for this third group of Gentiles. It's always either the house of Israel, the house of Yehuda. And that's what Yeshua said, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, you know, you can make all sorts of different stories about why that's, you know, that's us. But just read it. You know, you, you don't get us in the, in the terms of a Roman Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist or Baptist or Calvary Chapel or an open Bibles or anything. You don't get that when you read scripture. You infer that. We hope that. But what happens if he returns and you're sitting in your pew just holding on, waiting for those stupid Jews to get their act together and to join us? I, I don't think that's right. And I think it would be worth uh, considering <laughs> who it is he's coming back for. And we'll do that in another, another week. But who the church is, you know, I, and, and again, I think most Christians, and I've heard them say this, I've heard hundreds of Christians say this or imply this or infer this, you know, that they've, they walked down the aisle and they, they, uh, they did their deal and, and God has moved into their hearts or into their house or he's with them now. And it's like, he's coming into your house to tidy things up a bit. And how many sermons have you heard where the pastor's preaching God's coming into your house and there's always that room that you keep the key locked right because you don't want him going in there well, that's inferring he's joining us right he's coming to our house to clean things up and you know the sermon goes on well you know you need to open that so so if, if he can't see it then you're not ready 
or you know some sermon to that effect. Well, it goes back to this idea of Ecclesia versus Mishkin. The Mishkin was the place where um, God dwelled, where Yahuwah dwelled. He, he instructed Moshe and the boys to build his house exactly the way he wanted it built. And he was going to live there. And it was going to be in the midst of the people. And it was. It was right dead center in the midst of the people. Three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, and three tribes. And you know when you count out the people, that makes a big cross. And dead center in the middle of it is what? Yahweh. He's there. And the temple is there. And the Holy of Holies is there. And you come to him. Right? He dwells with you, but he's not in your tent. You come to him. And I didn't go over this with my wife today. I was sort of hoping that she wouldn't do one of those worship songs that says, um, join us here or, or Lord, come now or any of those hundreds of worships. That's not right. I mean, it's, it's, it, it seems like a kind of a pissy thing to talk about. But it's not right. It gives you the wrong idea. He's not coming to our house to save us. We have to go to his house to be saved. And that's the difference between the Mishkin and the Ecclesia. The church, we go to and entreat God and the Spirit to come and meet us there. He's already at the Mishkin, and we join him there. And just think about that. I mean, it seems like a really small, small idea, I'm sure. But think about how that plays out in a larger picture. We're sitting in church holding on to our pew handles because we tithed last month. And, you know, we might have cracked the Bible open at some point during the month. And we just know that God's coming back and he's going to rapture our church right out of this place. And if those Jews don't figure it out, if those Methodists haven't got it, Oh no, what's uh, you need to come deal with this. Oh, okay, I thought that was something different. Okay, so right there in the middle, we're getting saved, and the dog screws it all up. Um, but I mean, do you see the, the implication? We want to do it the easy way, and God says, No, you need to do it, you need to come be with me. You need to come to my house. And so when I see the word church and I see the way 21st century Christians react to the word, they're not getting that. And it concerns me. You think about churches today. Well, think about the Mishkin, the God of all creation, lived there. He actually came down and dwelt there. His word permeated the building. And if the people came in, they would hear his word. The priests would come in and they would hear his word and they would go out and teach it to the people. It was their job to teach the difference between the holy and the profane. And, you know, we were sort of talking about that this morning. Did they even know murder was wrong? I mean, how would you know if there had never been a murder, right? Somebody has to teach you. Because it's not as obvious as you think. We murder people all the time. 
you know, through uh, executions or through euthanasia or through abortion or uh, wars or justifiable homicide. I mean, there's any number of reasons you can kill somebody and it's okay. Well, who, who draws that line? Who says what's okay and what's not okay? And I guarantee you, if it's you or your cousin or the guy who runs, uh, you know, the mayor, then I'm not interested. I want to know from God what's okay. So I have to go to him. I have to go to his house. And uh, again, to me, ch churches, and, and the proof of that is churches today, there are 4,300, and I'm sure there's more now, 4,300 different denominations that all teach something different. They thought they have the answer. And we do it this way because, okay, 4,300 different ideas can't be right. One can be right. The other 4,299 are going to be wrong. So how do you know? What is your standard? You can go to a church. Well, I just saw one. I can't remember where now. Somewhere. Oh, it was in your book. The two, the two pastors were women, I suspect gay women, holding up their signs about uh, freedom of choice. But they had the robes and the hats and the whole deal. Well, that's a church. That's not a Michigan. God doesn't live there. God isn't in that place. And you can go to any of these other different churches I was talking, I don't know, maybe to you <laughs> last week, I got a, I'm doing a job for Rabbi Mark Solomon and he's in Boulder. He has the something, something congregation, you know, something. And as it turns out, he's British, very nice guy. And he, the letter that, or not even a letter, the, the email he sent me said, Rabbi Mark Solomon, whatever it is, in parentheses, he, him, us, or thee, them, I, I, I don't know, whatever. <clears throat> so I scrolled down through, you know, and he has all the, listen to this, and here's my deal on that, and here's my, so I clicked on his church thing, and about us, so you get the about us page, and it has 12 different icons that you can click on. The very first icon was the rainbow. So you click on that and we are an inclusive congregation and we welcome LBGTQ, PRST and Vs to worship with us. Huh. I wonder if that's what his Torah says, because I'm pretty sure it doesn't. And it took everything I could do not to respond to him with my name and put under it. I was going to write it in Hebrew and God created them male and female, but I didn't. <laughs> but I may yet. I mean, churches can say anything they want. They can teach anything they want. So that's not a Michigan. It's not the place God lives. And it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference, I think. And I think, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. If you ask those pastors why it's okay to teach that, because it says right here in the Bible, that's not true. What's their answer? And I, I've, never, I, I've never asked. I don't know what their answer would be. But I suspect I would 
would hear something about uh, all these worldly things, inclusivity and tolerance, and you know, that's not in scripture. <laughs> scripture is not inclusive, it's exclusive. It's not tolerant of any beliefs, it's intolerant. You need, to, you need to go to the Michigan and meet with God. If God is standing right in front of you, I suspect your ideas on truth change. But if he's not in the building, you can say anything you want. So we think about all these churches that have been around forever that are teaching just bogus stuff, and God has done nothing, it would seem. They're still there, and they're still teaching it. And we read in scripture, especially in the Tanakh, about how who would come down and live with his people. And then his people would start doing stuff. And they would leave the word of the Lord. So what would the Lord do? He would leave. And the temple would be destroyed because it was no longer being used for the purpose it was intended. And that takes a verse, or maybe two verses, as you read it in Scripture. But if you look at it, it's often generations, hundreds of years. It doesn't just happen on a Tuesday. It takes a long time for the people to leave the Michigan. And then it takes a long time for Yahuwah to say, enough. I'm destroying the temple and I think I'm going to destroy you too. It could be hundreds of years. And we don't read it that way in scripture because it's just one verse after another. So you look at all these churches that are teaching whatever they want, saying whatever they want, telling you, oh, God is here. Come be with us. He's not there. But they're in that window of maybe five generations or 200 years. And you think, why hasn't God judged that? He will. But he always gives you time to repent. And we read it in two verses. It's really hundreds of years. And I think we've talked before about the, the end of the second day of Hosea. And I think that's when this stuff's going to happen. He's going to straighten all this stuff out. And that is, is, I believe, right around the corner. Okay, when you read scripture, and remember last whenever it was i didn't even know i didn't even know what it was i was saying when you're reading scripture you know the context content there's there's a number of ways you have to look at it to find out who's speaking what are they really saying who are they talking to who are they why are they saying those things learn the culture learn the reasons and all that stuff all of scripture all of it every every word in every one of those books was written by a hebrew and they were all of a vastly different culture and time than we are. The last, they say, the last bits of the New Testament were written in 60, 70, 80, 90 AD. Yochanan finished the book of the Revelation of the Apocalypse. Well, that's almost 2,000 years ago. <laughs> They're Hebrews. They spoke Hebrew. Two-thirds of the Bible was written in Hebrew. The other third of it was written by Hebrews in a Hebrew culture with a Hebrew mindset, it pays to understand what they're talking about, who they're talking to, why are they saying that? And, and to just superimpose 21st century life on top of what they're saying uh, does not 
benefit us. We need to know what the culture is, what the time is, why it was said, what was said, how it was said, to whom it was said, and learn from that. So we look at this word church again versus Michigan. Well, the church didn't start until 318 when Constantine saw the vision of the cross and you know, started following Jesus. And then by 380, um, some other guy, can't think of his name at the moment, um, codified that Christianity, Christians, worship of Jesus was the state religion. Okay, so what happened between the time of Yeshua and the time of uh, Constantine? There's 300 plus years there. So we're reading church. There was no church. The only church, the only assembly was a group of Hebrews in these various cities scattered around Asia because the Lord had scattered them for his purposes to spread the message, right? These were Hebrews in every sense of the word. You talk about all the missionary journeys of Paul and Peter and, you know, all those guys. And we think, oh my gosh, you know, that must have been fabulous speakers because um, they just flocked to them and accepted. Well, that's because they were, they were Hebrews. They already knew what he was saying and they appreciate, they wanted to hear that. And then they went out and some of the Gentiles in the hood were saved. And that's the way it's always been that Rahab and Caleb, and uh, Ruth, and Elijah, and a bunch. These were all Gentiles. They weren't Hebrews, but they chose to join themselves to the Hebrews. They chose to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They became Hebrews. They didn't become Roman Catholics, or Methodists, or Lutherans, or Baptists, or they didn't become the church. They, they joined the Mishkin. They joined the tabernacle. So you see as um, it's 1,500 years from the time of Yeshua to the time most Bibles are translated in English. And during that time, there was the rise of the church, right, of the church. And they didn't teach the things of the Bible. In fact, they strove to separate themselves from the Hebrews, from the things of the, the Tanakh. They changed the worship days. They changed the feast days. All of a sudden, the priests couldn't be married. Uh, there was now purgatory. They added and subtracted and changed all of this stuff. And you read what Constantine wrote about the filthy Jews and the repugnant people. And he was a huge anti-Semite, which doesn't square with the fact he was following this Jew Jesus and all of the people that wrote the words of his Bible were Jewish. So he took his people and he changed a bunch of that stuff. So when you're reading through the Bible, we read today, like the King James or, uh, you know, so many of these Bibles that were translated in the 15, 16, maybe 1400s. That's their mindset is they're changing the things of the scripture that the Tanakh from Hebrew to the church they want you to believe that 
that the chosen people of God are no longer the chosen people. Now it's us. Okay, maybe. But find it in Scripture because it doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture. Um, and you know this if you just think about it. And if you have this discussion with anybody, they know this. When, when Paul and Peter and the boys went on their missionary journeys, you can read where they went and who they went to. And sometimes it was a small group of believers, a small group of women that met by the river. Sometimes it says the synagogue or the temple. Every now and again, Paul would go someplace where there weren't Jews, like the Aragopagus or whatever that is. And the result was always the same. He would be beaten to death or certainly within an inch of his life, thrown in jail. They didn't receive it. The people who received it were the Hebrews that were scattered about. And there's no way you can call them a church in the sense that we use the word. They, 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 Michigan Tabernacle Temple would be a better description because that implies Hebrew. Church implies Gentile. And you think it's not that big a deal. It is kind of a big deal. And you start looking at all the stuff that they've, like in the King James, my beloved King James, you go to Acts 24 one or something i don't know um and it says during easter no it wasn't easter it was pesach it was passover obviously i mean that's such a ridiculous thing and you just laugh it off oh you know that's the but that's the mindset right that's what they were talking about in 1500 the church, that was us, that was the Catholics, the Anglicans, the Lutherans, the Methodists, and later the Protestants, the Protesters, and the Baptists. That's who they're talking about, but that's not who the Bible's talking about. What about 6,800 times? Yudhe Vavhe, the name of, of God, is in the, the, the Tanakh. And it was changed every single time to say the Lord. And they capitalized Lord, the Lord. Well, who's the Lord? I mean, they call everybody the Lord. If you're, if you're the floor manager or the head welder or the head pig herder, you're the Lord. Why would they do, why would they take the name, the holy name, of the creator of heaven and earth and change it to something that's meaningless. Why would they change the name of Yeshua to Jesus? You know, we lived in Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara. It's a Spanish phrase, Saint Barbara. We didn't change it to Saint Barbara. We used Santa Barbara, right? Delavina, we lived on Camino Cielo. We didn't change it to Walk of the Mountains. Why would they change his name? His name is Yeshua. It means salvation. Why would they change salvation into Jesus, the name of my gardener? <laughs> well, yeah, make it easier and dumb it down. 
but you can't change it with the times. You remember the Hebrews, the rabbis, the first time the Tanakh was translated, I don't remember which language it was, Latin or whatever it was. The first time it was translated out of Hebrew, they tore their clothes because they knew that the truth would be lost. And indeed, the truth, I think, has been lost. Um, okay, let me see if we can speed this up a little bit. Um, the first time we see the word uh, uh, Mishkin used, it's, it's the Lord, the Lord, Yeshua, uh, Yahuwah, is speaking to Moshe about his house. It's about, this is what I want my house to look like. And it was called a mikdash, a, a consecrated place, to be built for him for a specific purpose. So this, uh, this tabernacle, this temple, temple, this mishkin, was built specifically as a consecrated place for him. Well, that's not the same when you use the word church, because there are a million churches and a million different denominations with uh, a million different ways to conduct um, that's not what the lord would have for you um if we read acts 8 3 i don't know where we are so you can probably find it okay it says as for rav shaul paul he made havoc of the ecclesia entering every house and drag, dragging out men and women and committing them to prison Ecclesia, church. He made havoc of the church. Well, who was Rob Show going to? Who was who he dragging out? Catholics? Methodists? He was dragging out Jews, Hebrews, who believed Yeshua was the Messiah. And because they, because the house of Judah, Yehuda, did not believe that, then all these, these other Hebrews from the house of Israel that did believe it need to be drug out and thrown in prison but they weren't catholics or anybody else there, there, there wasn't any catholics yet there wouldn't be for 300 years um okay theodosius he was the guy in 380 a.d who made worship of yeshua the state religion so it was 380 a.d who first had a church up to that point all you had was the temple and the tabernacle the synagogue and the worship of Yahuwah. And then he changed all of that stuff. They changed the day and they changed the feasts. And they, you know, the Bible is clear call no man father, but your father who is in heaven. So what do they call their priest? Father. If you're going to be a priest, you have to be married. You have to prove yourself that you have a wife and children that are under control. Well, no, you have to be celibate. You can eat anything that the Lord has deemed as good. No, 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 no. We have to eat fish on Friday. I mean, they changed everything. And they changed it for one reason, to give themselves the power and take it away from the Jewish God, right? You've got this Jewish God that's in the Old Testament. We can't have any of that. Because now the Pope is God. God is the Pope. We're the people. You have to worship us. It's the church that will save you. And we look at, you know, our Calvary Chapel or whatever, and that's not what we believe. We don't believe the church will save you, but that's how we act because we have to go there and, and you know, and literally God help you if you look at what it really says in the Old Testament. If you look at what the, the word really is, 
um, you're not, uh, they don't like you. But the, the church, the Roman Catholic, meaning universal, the Roman universal church founded in 380 could have been part of the Michigan, part of the temple, the tabernacle, if they had joined themselves like Rahab and, you know, Ruth and Elijah and all these other people did. They could have been part of the real house of God. But, uh, you know, there's, there's one God, one faith, one baptism. Um, you know, read it all in Ephesians 4 or 5. There's only one. And all through scripture, it says the same thing. There's only one. You know, if you're going to be a foreigner and come to live in the nation of Israel, you have to adopt their rules, right? You have to follow their God. You have to celebrate their feasts. There's only one. There's only one way. You can't do it yourself. And the Old Testament is replete with that pendulum. We're following God. Oh, we're doing it our way. No, nope, that doesn't work. We're following God. We're doing it our way. We see a hundred times over how that works. And why do we think it's going to be different? Why do we think we can join a church, you know, in the Catholic church? You're saved through the Catholic church. You're not saved through God. And they flat tell you, and we've read this, several of these, we can read them again, that the church is above the Bible. The Pope is above the Bible. The doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church is above the Bible. Oh yeah, we love the Bible. But yeah. No, it says the opposite of that. It says, God is in the Mishkin. You come to him and do what he asks you to do. And when you want to do it your own way, it never works out. And if you leave the Mishkin and God leaves the Mishkin, then it's destroyed. The tabernacle is destroyed because it no longer has a purpose. You just can't make up your own rules. So it seems like a long stretch from church to making up your own rules, but I hope you get what I'm uh, trying to say. Well, yeah, of course. Um, filthy Jews, detestable company, repugnant and worse. Those are some of the things that the Roman Catholic Church, Constantine and, and the boys, referred to the House of Israel as. And so it goes today, I would suggest. Um, well, yeah, especially now. It's, I don't know, Ecclesiastes, you know, things never change, right? right. Um, okay, so most Christians would point to Acts chapter 2, and I gave you a quick synopsis of Acts chapter 2, um, as the creation of the church, right? Because that's what the Roman Catholic Church tells us. You know, they tell us that Kepha was the first pope, and that uh, everybody from the time the Ruach HaKodesh fell on Kepha and the boys, that was the church. Well, that's, you know, that's demonstrably a lie. Um, historically, I mean, in every possible way you can think of that, that's a lie. There's no other way to look at it. It is a lie. Because there wasn't even a Roman Catholic Church before 380 AD. This happened 350 years previous to that. So it's not a debate that it's a lie. It's a lie. And the entire foundation of that church is built on this lie, not to just pick on the Roman Catholics, because ultimately, we're all Roman Catholics because we do everything they say. 
We worship on their days. We celebrate their feasts. We, you know, we do, we, we call it a church. We're, we're doing all the things backwards. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, verse 3. Um, Kepha and the others received the Rauh Kodesh, which is the spirit of holiness, on this day, because it was a feast day, and believing Jews from all over the world, or believing Hebrews from all over the world, were there. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, it goes on to list 14 different countries and cities where these people were from. So this is a, a Hebrew holiday, right? This is the Feast of Shavuot. You can call it Pentecost. It's 50 days after uh, the second day of, of Passover. It's 49, seven sevens after the resurrection of Yeshua from the dead. This is a big deal. This is a huge day. And so these people come from all over the world. Well, who are these people? They're not Catholics and Methodists and Mormons. They're Hebrews. Acts. Right. Yeah, no Easter egg baskets required. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 6. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. Right? We've all heard that. And I go, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, well, it's interesting. The word language there in Greek is uh, dialecto. It's, it's dialect. Dialect. It's dialectos. It's where we get the word dialect. So think about this. You've got 14 different cities listed. All these people are coming for the feast. Obviously, these people are Hebrews from the house of, of Israel because they're scattered about in these different countries. They're coming for the feast as are required by Yahuwah to do. And they speak different dialects because, you know, one's from Laodicea and one's from Philadelphia and one's from Corinth or whatever. But they still speak Hebrew. So they came expecting, presumably, Peter or whoever was going to speak, to be speaking in Hebrew, and they would understand it. And they were stunned to find out they heard it in their own dialect. And we are taught or, or just inferred, you know, that Peter, the Holy Spirit came on Peter and he could talk in tongues. He speak, spoke all these different languages. But that's not what it says. He spoke and 14 different dialects were understood. So where was the miracle? Was the miracle, did the Holy Spirit fall on Kepha so that he could speak all these different dialects? Was he speaking 14 different dialects at one time? No, he was speaking Hebrew. But they heard in their own dialect. That's the miracle. The Holy Spirit caused them to hear in their own dialect, right? And, you know, and I've been down that road. You've heard that story. You know, go to the rescue mission. I give this unbelievably awesome sermon because I am so cool. And 21 guys come forward to receive the Lord. And I'm just like overwhelmed. I'm calling people to come up and help me and help me, help me. 16 of them didn't speak English. That was the Holy Spirit. He had a purpose. I was the guy. I was lucky enough to be there that night. And those 16 guys got saved. <coughs> I didn't speak Spanish. They didn't speak English. But the Holy Spirit... Worked it out. Well, maybe they heard it. I mean, I know I wasn't speaking Spanish, but they heard it and the spirit moved them. You talk, look at a Texan talking to a guy from Maine. They're both speaking English. You think they're going to hear each other? You know, probably not. Um, 
Okay, so Kepha addresses the crowd in Acts 2, chapter 14, and he says, you men of Yehuda, all of you staying here in Jerusalem. Okay, you men of Yehuda, Jews, all of you staying here where? In Jerusalem. Let me tell you what this means. Listen carefully to me, and this is uh, out of the, uh, yeah, the contemporary Jewish Bible. So it's got all these exclamation points, which is kind of cool because that's probably what he was saying. Listen to me, you know. Um, okay. So so he says that, and he, he quotes uh, Yoel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And then he adds this in Acts 22, 23. Men of Israel, listen to this. Yeshua from Nazareth was a man demonstrated to you to have been from Hashem, the name, by powerful works, miracles, and signs Hashem performed through him in your presence. You yourselves know this. This man was arrested in accordance with Elohim's predetermined plan and foreknowledge, and through the agency of persons not bound by the Torah, you nailed him up on a stake and killed him. So again, who's he talking to? Men of Israel. These are Hebrews. This is not the church. There's just no question who these people were. It wasn't a group of, um, you know, rowdy Baptists that was taking a uh, you know, a tour of the Holy Land or a bunch of drunken Methodists. These were the house of Israel. These were Hebrews that had come to the feast. And to call them the church might have been okay 2,000 years ago because we would have known what he meant. But to call them the church today is, is it's not right. It, it, it brings the wrong idea. So Kepha goes on and he talks, uh, he speaks Psalm 16. 8 through 11, he talks about Psalm uh, 110, verse 1, and he ends this way, Acts 2, 36 through 39. Therefore, let the whole house of Yisrael know beyond a doubt that Elohim has made both Adonai and Mashiach, God and the Messiah. On hearing this, they were stung to their hearts, and they said to Kepha and the other emissaries, brothers, again, they weren't Baptists. Brothers, they were Hebrews, what should we do? And Kepha answered them and said, turn from your sin and return to Elohim. Each of you be immersed, baptized, on the authority of Yeshua HaMashiach, salvation, the Messiah, into forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the spirit of holiness, the Ruach HaKodesh. For the promise is for you and for your children and for those far away. That's us far away in the terms of time it's not you know they're 800 miles back they they didn't catch the amtrak it's for us who are far away in the distance of time as many as yahweh elohim may call eloheinu may call so kifa always addressed these celebrants as hebrews not as the church not as roman catholics or baptists or Methodists or Lutherans, they had there were Gentiles among them, but they had chosen to join themselves to the house of Israel, not the other way around. And they became a new creation, and they were no longer Gentiles, and they had a new identity in the Messiah. And nobody thinks that's odd because that's exactly what we do, right? We were Gentiles that separated from God, and then we became born again. 
and became a new creation and no longer Gentiles and have a new identity in Messiah. Nothing's changed. That's always the way it is. And when you walk down the aisle and you pray the sinner's prayer, they will typically say something to, you know, to this effect. You're, you're born again. You're a new creation. You're, uh, what are they saying? You're not a Gentile anymore. You don't belong to the church. You belong to the house of Israel. But they don't actually put that in those words. But that's what's happening. That's always been what's happening. It's happened from day one to day to day. Yeah, it would have made a huge difference because all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they always tell you, oh, you're to be sanctified. What does that mean? Separated. You're to be separated from the world. Oh, okay. So how does that work? Well, it's easy. You become part of the church. Well, the church isn't any different than the world. They have the same divorce rate. They have the same abortion rate. They have the same murder rate. You need to be something different. You need to be sanctified. You need to be set apart. You need to be part of the house of Israel. Okay, Acts 2.41. And then they gladly received his word and were baptized. And that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And again, most people will read added to the church in there somewhere. 42 through 46. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold all their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man have need. And they continued daily with one accord, where? In the temple, yeah. <laughs> in the Roman Catholic Church with the 65 foot tall ceilings and the 100 panels of stained glass and 15 foot tall Christmas trees. That's where they went, right? Breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Okay, we don't get the singleness of heart thing. 4,300 different denominations. Why? How can there even be that many? How can there be two? singleness of heart they believe the same thing they believed that yahuwah was who yahuwah said yahuwah was i am that i am i'm that guy there's 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 not two different ways to look at that there's not 4300 different ways to look at that so you're saved you go forward you pray the sinner's prayer and praise god for doing that and you become a member of the church well, which of the 4,300 churches, which one is right? Do you know? Do you have any ideas? Is there any way you can know? Well, it's a lot simpler if you became a member of the House of Israel, because all the directions are right there in the front of the book. It's easy to read. Okay. It's interesting that... Uh, We call them disciples. They walked with Yeshua. They walked with them for three and a half years. They disciples in in uh, in English. Uh, it's in Greek. It's mathetos or something like that. Mathetos, and it's translated in English as disciple. It means a learner. So these people were hanging around, walking with. They were learning from Yeshua. Then Yeshua goes up to the right hand of the Father. He's not there anymore. And all of a sudden, they're not disciples anymore. They're called apostles, right? From uh, apostolos. And it means messenger. 
So they're now sending the message of the things that they learned, right? Because Yeshua is no longer there. He's up there. And that's what they do. And that's, that's what we do, right? We should share the message that we've learned from Yeshua. But we don't. We share the message we've learned from the church. And how do you know which church is right? You don't. Some of them, it's obvious. You can't promote abortion. You can't promote gay rights. You can't have a female pastor. You can't do it. Those things are easy and obvious. But we go to Calvary Chapel. That's not like those churches. We, we've got it mostly right. Right? I mean, after all, we go every Sunday. And we celebrate Christmas and Easter. And we have pulled pork after church. I mean... <laughs> None of them have it right. If you want to get it right, go back to what it said in the beginning. Well, the apostles, when they would start spreading out, doing the same for the Lord, uh, and they got, and they got killed. Sometimes they did. They did, and uh, and why did they get killed? Because they were, they wound up witnessing to the Gentiles who did not receive it so well, yeah. or they wound up witnessing to some of the members of the house of Yehuda who did not receive it well. But for the most part, they were received well because they went to the house of Israel, and those people had been disregarded by the house of Yehuda. They couldn't go back to the nation of Israel. They wouldn't let them go back, but they were still Hebrews and they were trying desperately. They wanted desperately more than anything else to hear what the disciples said, that you are welcome. You are part of, in fact, not only are you part of God's team, you are God's team. You know, and the time will come when the stick of the house of Yehuda and the stick of the house of Israel will come together, but that time is not yet. Malachi talks about the same thing. The end of days is when uh, the hearts of the children return to the fathers, and the hearts of the fathers return to the children. The house of Israel is turned to the house of Judah, the house of Judah is turned to the house of Israel. That, that's coming, but it's not here yet. But to them, that was, I mean, of course they received that with great joy, because now all of a sudden they weren't the dispersed, they weren't the outcast. They realized that the Lord had sent them there on purpose so that his people would be all over the world and they could share the truth. And that didn't include starting a whole bunch of different churches. There wasn't a church of Corinth. There wasn't a church of Thessalonica. No matter what your Bible says, there was the house of Israel in Corinth, the house of Israel in Thessalonica. They all read the same thing. They read the Tanakh. They believed. They were in one accord in the temple, the Bible says. And that's the New Testament says that. So when you read this verse, um, you almost think that, oh my gosh, the translators made a mistake. They didn't translate that one as church. They said temple until you start looking at it. It's not ecclesia. The spirit had them use the Greek word hieron, which means a sacred place. And it's almost like, I mean, I've been stuck on this for weeks. It's almost like the Holy Spirit threw an anchor out of the boat and it's, it's hooked on this rock. And you can call the church, the ecclesia, the house of Israel, you know, the church all you want.
But right here, I'm telling you, it is the sacred place of God. And this one word is like an anchor. And they, they were in one accord in the temple. Not in the church. I don't know. It, I think it makes a difference. It's the temple of the house of Israel, not well, the cathedral of Notre Dame. If you're in Hebrew synagogue or something, they're not going to identify. No, as but they will. That time is coming. Yes. And I believe it's soon that those sticks are going to be put together. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Malachi and Hosea and uh, Ezekiel and all those things are going to happen just exactly like it says they were going to happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get distracted because it hasn't happened but it god doesn't you know he works on his time schedule the day is as into a thousand years and a thousand years into a day it hasn't happened in a hundred years so what's that you know like two hours it'll happen it's coming it's going to happen okay so acts chapter two the chapter that most christians will point to as the beginning of the church ends this way in verse 47, praising Elohim and having favor with all the people, uh, Yahweh added to the church, the Ecclesia daily as such should be saved. That's still going on today. There are people that are being added, not to the Catholics or the Baptists. I mean, there may be, but there are people being added every day, the house of Israel. And I've said that before, there are 10,000 little groups like this in this country alone, there are, you know, some like Doug Hemp's church in, in Denver has got several thousand people in it. There are big churches. There are little groups like this. There's uh, um, Cloud's church in Cleveland, Tennessee that has, I don't know how many, a couple thousand people. Perry uh, with Stone. And I mean, there's a number of people that that's that's the sabbath they it's a it's a church it's a temple it's a it's tabernacle and they're doing the right thing and they're reading the right thing and all of these little groups and these big churches they're all teaching the same thing because there's only one book and if you read that book you can only get one thing out of it you can't get 4300 different versions of it so it's coming it's happening and it's 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 getting more and more um I think it's coming. So in the weirdest of all places, the new Catholic Bible comes to my rescue on this whole Ecclesia thing. This is, this is a footnote from the new Catholic Bible on this verse. The word church, Greek Ecclesia, assembled or called together, already heard on the lips of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, appears for the first time in Acts at the end of this story. In the Greek word, our world, the word denoted as assembly, which is what it means, convoked for deliberation. In the Jewish tradition, ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesiasta, was the assembly of God's people, which God had called together in the wilderness. So it seems like a odd spot to find the truth, but in the Catholic, the New Catholic Bible, they admit that this, this church they're talking about is really the Hebrews from the wilderness. 
Okay, so the larger question, of course, is if there's if there's really no church as as we define a church in 21st century America, then does that give you pause for sitting in a church on the wrong day, waiting for the right people to join us instead of the other way around? And it it that's what we're taught. You know, it's not like these people are evil. It's not like all the people that go to your church or any church really are evil. That's what they're taught. And if, and if only 2% of them are willing to read their Bible every day and learn the truth, they'll never learn the truth because the pastor's not going to tell them. I mean, even back in the, in the temple in the wilderness, the, the priests, they didn't get it right. Their only job was to tell the people to separate the holy from the profane, and they didn't get it right. There's all kinds of priests who failed and were evil and wicked. And so who, who does it fall to? You know, I would suggest it falls to each of us. Each of us. We, we have to read on our own. We have to study on our own. And, you know, it would be, uh, it would be ideal if we would read and learn and know and be able to explain it to our pastor and if he would understand and read and learn and know, but it's the time isn't yet. Okay. So homework, homework. homework. Yeah. I want you to read your Bible and I want you to read, I want you to understand. So Take chapter uh, 14 in the book of Ezekiel and read it and think about it and see what it's talking about. And then Yahu or Jeremiah chapters 14 and 15. It's basically the same sort of story. <clears throat> Compare that with what you see happening today. Both, you know, the big picture of the evil that's going on in the world and the smaller picture of what's going on in your church. Because these sections are about um, the sort of the church being judged. And think about why they were judged in these sections. And think about if that applies today. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think of... You know, it just breaks my heart to think that 90% of the people that live in, in the current nation of Israel have been vaccinated. And the science and the ability, I was just, I, I don't know, I might even have sent it to you guys today for some reason. Uh, <clears throat> how have you you've seen most of you have probably seen that video of the they put the vaccine on a slide they let it warm to body temperature and then you see these little critters you know like octopus form and now they know these octopus and and i i'm sure i sent this to somebody these octopus just randomly glom on to different organs in your body and that's fine they don't do any harm but they're full of these graphene graphene discs or something they can be activated with a 5G signal. So if they get, or with, with any sort of vibration, but it's typically the harmonic frequencies of the 5G. If the 5G signal activates them, then they release these graphene discs into the organ and you die basically of blood clots and you know various other things. So it's just waiting. 
and you keep getting more boosters and more boosters and you get more and more of these things and they can trigger it anytime they want. So A, make sure you don't carry a 5G phone, damn. Nothing current for you, buddy. And you can't go further than the cord will reach from your house. Um, don't carry a 5G phone, which, you know, is, it's, a, it's the new technology. Everybody wants you to have a 5G phone. Don't have a, don't have a 5G phone. Be perfectly happy with a 4G or even a 3G. But it doesn't matter because there's 5G towers everywhere. So they can 5G you anytime they want. But um, just think about if, if you think about what you read in Ezekiel 14 and Jeremiah 14, 15, think about that in, in relation to the people who now live in the country of Israel. Now, that's not the nation of Israel. It's in the Bible. You know, I, I get that. But still, the, it's like the church, right? People are going to see that. And they equate that with the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, whether, whether that is true or not. You know, the, the current nation of Israel is not, but most people don't know. That. What happens when all of a sudden, if they activate this 5G and, and, the, and these people die or they get sick or they can no longer fight? I mean, 94% of our armed services has been vaccinated. 4% of the Chinese and 3% of the Russians have been. So, what happens when they vaccinate it? You're speaking Russian or Chinese, right? I mean, I don't know. Okay, so some of the related lessons to this, which I really want to do this one. I don't know when I'll do it. Uh, the Torah portion from, I don't know, a month or two ago, Vayetze, it's from Bereshit 28.10 through 32.2. It's all about Yaakov and the the ladder, you know, Jacob's ladder. And he talks about, the stone, Ibn Hashatiya, the foundation stone, and it's pierced and he's got oil on it and he puts it by his head. You know, your Bible says he used it as a pillow. Have you ever thought that as you've read that verse? Oh yeah, and Jacob's walking through the day. Oh yeah, that rock, I'm going to lay my head on that. Okay, now that should be one of those things that like red flags go up because nobody's going to lay their head on a rock. What does that really mean? You know, so this is a, incredible Torah portion. Uh, then we need to talk about the two sticks and the dry bones of uh, Ezekiel 37 and the end of days. He tells us pretty plainly, you know, who it is and what's going on. Shaol and his two olive trees, it's the same story, except instead of two stick, well, actually it is the same story, because the word in Hebrew for, they're used for sticks is etz, which is actually the word for tree. And Paul uses the olive tree, which is etz, uh, but it, I mean, it's the same story. So where's the church in that? You've got the two sticks, the two trees, the natural, the olive, the house of Yehuda, the house of Israel. Do you see the church in there anywhere? No. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, standing, falling in the children of Exodus. You know, what does that mean for us? I think it's got a huge message for us. And then the preterm rapture. Are we waiting for the Jews to get saved before we can go? You know, I think we need to talk a little bit more about that. And now. Uh, Anyway, that's kind of, thanks for keeping up. I know I wasn't going in the right order, <laughs> but okay. Um.